First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, and ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, that is, will not precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Amen. <clears throat> well, I'd like you tonight to try and put yourselves in the Thessalonians' shoes before they'd received this letter from uh, Paul. They had heard the gospel from the Apostle Paul and they believed it. And Paul had only been with them a very short time, as we thought before, perhaps as little as three weeks. Now, no doubt, as Paul preached to them the good news of Jesus Christ, he had told them about his ascension, his return to heaven, and the promise that one day he was to come back to this world. Uh, that becomes plain as we read through this letter. We've come across it once or twice, uh, references to the coming of the Lord. You see at the end of chapter 2, verse 19, Are you not the glory, uh, our glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus at his coming? They knew what Paul was referring to when he mentioned the coming. And then the end of verse, uh, verse 3, verse 13, at uh, the coming of the Lord Jesus with his saints. They knew about his coming. Paul had obviously told them something about that. Now you have to remember that these people had none of the New Testament scriptures. It is very likely that 1 Thessalonians was the first book in the New Testament to be written uh, right about 20 years after Jesus had ascended to heaven. It's possible that the letter of James was written prior to this. So they had none of the New Testament scriptures, they just had the Old Testament and they'd had, they would no doubt have had as well um, uh, oral record stories, people remembering what Jesus had done and said. Now since Paul had been with them, since Paul had taught them and had to leave Thessalonica, it would appear that some of the Christians had died. Now whether they had died through persecution or whether they died just of natural causes, perhaps there were children amongst them who died from childhood, childhood illnesses. Whatever it was, some of them had died. And it left these people wondering, well what about them? What about these people who have, have not lived to see the coming of the Lord once more. They didn't know what had happened to these people. Uh, they hadn't got the New Testament to tell them. There's very little in the Old Testament to teach what uh, lies beyond this world. As uh, Paul writes to them here, it would appear that these people were afraid that those who had died were going to miss out on the blessings of the second coming. 
perhaps they wondered if they'd been, they'd been eternally lost because they hadn't lived to see Christ. And no doubt the question was in their own minds. What's going to happen to me if I die before Jesus returns? Is my faith going to be useless? Is it going to count for nothing? Well, it's, this is difficult for us to put ourselves back in their sort of position because we are so familiar with passages in the New Testament like this or like the book of Revelation, like Corinthians we read there, or indeed some passages in the Gospels. But it must have been a, a real, a, um, something that really concerned these people, just not knowing what had happened to those who died. So, Paul, as he writes this letter, he is plainly very keen to put these people right, to explain to them precisely what is to happen in the future and to explain to them as well what had happened to those who had since died since he'd been with them so we see in these verses first of all a basis for the Christian hope he says to them that there is great hope for those who had departed and he, he goes to explain what the basis is for that hope in verse 13 and 14 I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope, you have hope. And it's based on this, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. The basis for the hope was the fact that they knew Jesus Christ had died and risen again. Paul here wants to add to their knowledge. Here was something they didn't know they were ignorant of and Paul doesn't want them to be ignorant of this anymore so he says to them that you're not to sorrow like those who have no, no hope now he's not saying that there's to be no sorrow sorrow is right and natural uh, when Christian believers do die when they fall asleep in Jesus <coughs> but the, the grief and the pain and sorrow that a, a believer feels is to be different from the unbelieving world who have no hope because Christians have a wonderful hope a wonderful confidence about those who have left this world who have died and gone to be with the Lord and the basis of that hope as I say is the fact that Jesus Jesus himself has already died and has risen again now we read there in uh, 1 Corinthians how Paul describes Jesus as the first fruits. The idea, really the same idea as, as is here, that as Jesus had died and rose again, everyone who believes in Christ will do the same. He's the, 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 the beginning of the harvest, so to speak. This harvest of millions of souls, millions of believers who will one day be raised to life. The fact that Jesus was raised to life is an absolute guarantee that you and I we will be raised if we die united to Christ through faith. So Paul is saying here, you believe that Jesus died, you know that Jesus rose again. It's at the very heart of your Christian belief. And if you know that, you can be absolutely certain, you can have the same confidence that those who have fallen asleep are, uh, have a hope for the future. Now you might have noticed that as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians there, and it comes out here, 
but he doesn't talk of people dying. He doesn't talk with believers dying. He is dealing here solely with believers, those who have a faith in Christ. He doesn't say that they die. He says that they fall asleep. And that apparently is true for the whole of the New Testament. The believers are never described as dying in the New Testament. And that, that description implies that there must be a resurrection. The death is not the end. When you have a nap, when you fall asleep, you're going to wake up again. In the same way, these people who had fallen asleep with Jesus, they were one day to be awakened at the resurrection. But if you look carefully at this, at verse 14, you'll notice that Paul says that Jesus died. doesn't say that Jesus fell asleep. He says that Jesus died. Why? Why is Jesus said to die, to have died? Well, because Jesus did suffer all the pains, all the horrors, all the terrors of death. Jesus went through, in his experience in this world, the equivalent of hell, where he was under God's judgment and God's wrath. Certainly at the point of his death, he was immediately in paradise with his father. But for Jesus, that death was a, a horrific experience. Uh, a time where Jesus, in one sense, had no, um, no hope. He, almost at the point of despair. And he calls out, my Father, my, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus died. He went through all the pains and horrors of death. But in doing so, he transformed death for his believing people into falling asleep. Because he has endured the pains of death. Death becomes uh, something that has lost its terror for believing people. Now, death, of course, is something that perhaps we don't like to think about. Perhaps you younger folk here, you never think about death. You think that's a long way away. It's never likely to come to you. But whether it comes sooner or later, it is going to come to every one of us, unless the Lord himself should return. But here's the great news for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Death has lost all its terrors. It's going to be falling asleep. It's going to be uh, going, going to be with the Lord for a while, and then there's to be this resurrection, this raising to life once more. Perhaps you'll note as well in this verse 14 that Paul says that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep uh, in, in Jesus. He's making the point here that those who have gone, those who have left this life, they are still real, active, living people. If they weren't, then God couldn't bring them. He couldn't bring these people back with Jesus. They are in another, world, in another realm, in another place. They are still as alive today as they ever were. They are to be brought back by God with Christ. Then they are to be reunited with their bodies and they will be raised to life. There will be a resurrection of all these people. So Paul is teaching these Thessalonians, you don't have to worry about those who have fallen asleep. You don't have to worry about these Christian believers who have died. They are not lost. They are not going to miss out on the blessings of the second coming. They are with God and God is going to bring them back to this world when Christ himself returns. 
Clearly then we are taught here that believers in the Lord, they continue in a living, active way, even after uh, they've left this world through death. This sleep is not sleep in an unconscious state, as uh, some of the sects would, would uh, hold, but it's called sleep because the, the terrors, because the victory of death is gone, because Christ has defeated death. Death has lost its power. It has lost its power because it has been defeated by Christ. And even death is not able to break the bond between Christ and his people. See in verse uh, 16 there, Paul speaks of the dead in Christ. Those who have died are still in Christ. They're still united to Christ. Their bodies in the graves. If you know your catechism, they are still united to Christ. There's an insoluble link, a a link that can't be broken between Christ and his people, even through death. So if tonight you are in Christ, if you have a believing faith, whether you're, you're just young or more mature in years, you need have no fear of death. No fear of death whatsoever. Nothing can terrify you now. It's perhaps a bit scary. For the younger ones of us to think about death, perhaps for us all to think about death. But at the point where death comes, there is no need to fear. Because Christ has died and transformed the believer's death into a falling asleep. And that falling asleep will be for a time until we are awakened at the resurrection from the dead. So the basis of our hope then for those who have departed is the fact that Jesus has died and risen again. Well, Paul then goes on to the fulfilment of that hope in verses 15 to 17. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not uh, precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Here's the fulfillment of this hope that believers have. Paul goes on to give some details to fill in exactly what is to happen uh, on this occasion. And you'll note that he's particularly emphasizing those who have already gone into death. He is particularly careful to to make sure that these Thessalonian Christians know what's going to happen to them, because that is what's concerning them. He's making the point that they'll be at no disadvantage. It makes no difference whether men and women are alive when Christ returns, or whether they have died before that. They will all have the same uh, blessing at the time of Christ's return. Now he says that he he's, uh, um, has this message as a word of the Lord. Now that may mean that here was something that Jesus had said in his own earthly ministry. Something that's not recorded anywhere else in scripture. We've got an instance of that, for instance, in uh, Acts chapter 20, I think it is, where Paul says that the Lord had said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now that doesn't appear in the Gospels anywhere. And if you remember, John said that if everything that Jesus had done was written, 
the world would be able to contain all the books that would be written. Many things that Jesus did and said are not recorded for us in the Bible. But this may be one thing uh, that Paul is saying, here's a word, this is coming to you from what Jesus himself said. Or alternatively, it may be a, uh, it may be a special revelation that Jesus gave to, to Paul, telling him what was to happen in the future. But either way, Paul is really saying, this is coming with all the authority of Jesus Christ himself. And you can believe exactly what I'm telling you. They need have absolutely no doubt that the events described here will absolutely and perfectly be fulfilled. Jesus' return to this world is clearly going to be a visible thing. It's something that people will see. It's not something that's going to go on quietly, um, that perhaps many of the many people in this world don't know nothing about. Again, some of the uh, sects, the uh, false religions, they would hold that the, the return of Jesus has happened already. I think it's the Mormons say that Christ came back to this world well, some earlier this century, and that some people met him in the air. Nonsense. This is going to be a, a visible thing. Everyone's going to see Jesus come back. And not only that, it's going to be an audible thing. People are going to hear Jesus coming back again. So we have him descending with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. Now there seem to be here um, two things, two, two sounds, two noises actually heard. Uh, literally, the way the word order is in, in, the, in the original language, it is, um, for the Lord with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, will descend. The verb sort of comes at the end there. And the first word, the shout, it's uh, a word that's used only here in the, in the New Testament. And it means a command that uh, a charioteer, someone driving a chariot, might give to his horses. Or a commander in the army would give this command to his soldiers. It's a shout, a command that comes with authority. People must do it. They must obey it. And it comes with urgency. It's something that has to be done there and then. And it's not immediately obvious from whom the shout is coming, but it would seem most appropriate to say, this is God, this is Christ himself. This is the Lord of glory giving this command to, to the earth. And that command being a command that the dead should rise. If you go back to John's Gospel, you see this written for us more explicitly. John chapter 5 and verse 28 John 5 verse 28 Marvel not at this, said Jesus for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice hear the Son of Man's voice and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation or the resurrection of judgment they will hear his voice and they will rise so it would seem best to understand what Paul's saying here is this command, this shout, comes from Jesus himself that the dead should rise. And then along with that is this voice of the archangel and the trump, uh, with the trump of God. 
It may be that they hear the archangel is being represented as sounding the trumpet of God. It is the voice, the, the noise, sometimes it can be translated the noise of the archangel. Now, the details of who this archangel is, um, I think is unnecessary for us to, to go into. But clearly it's the idea of a signal, a signal from God, with all the authority of God, that um, will bring about the resurrection of the dead. What do we associate the trumpet with? Well, if you think back to Exodus 19, where God appeared on Mount Sinai, uh, Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai I beg your pardon, um, there there was a trumpet call. It grew louder and louder. And it was calling the people to meet with God. God had come down on the mountain. There was smoke and fire and uh, an earthquake and lightning, all kinds of things. And there, there, was, there was this trumpet calling people to meet with God. The same idea here. People are being called from the grave to meet with God. Also, if you know a little bit about the festivals in Israel, there was uh, the, the festival of trumpets. And this was a, a, an occasion where the trumpets were sounded at the year of Jubilee. Now the year of Jubilee was a, uh, the 50th year in the calendar in Israel. And on that year, slaves were allowed to go free. Anyone who owed debts, uh, their debts would be cancelled. Everything reverted back to its original owner. And no doubt that would have been a time of great joy and rejoicing. That all the burdens that people were, being, were carrying, financial burdens and, and uh, burdens of work, they were gone. People were set free. And perhaps there's the hint of this here as well. That this trumpet call of God is, is bringing about the, the liberation of his people from their bondage to death, bringing them into the joy and the freedom of the new universe. So well, however we interpret it, this shout and this trumpet call of the archangel, it's a signal for the dead to rise. A signal that's going to be heard throughout the world, perhaps even throughout the universe. Um, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, there we read it as well, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised, incorruptible. And having been raised, then, um, well, I missed a bit there, I beg your pardon, verse, end of verse 16, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Here's Paul's emphasis on those who've already died, they're not going to miss out. They're going to rise first of all, and then, after that, verse 17, they who've risen and we who are still alive will all be together and will meet the Lord in the air. You'll notice there a reference to clouds. Often uh, in reference to our Lord's return to this world, there is this reference to clouds. Uh, very frequently in, in the scriptures, clouds are associated with God's appearance, with the appearance of God and with his activity. I'm sure the children well know about the gods leading the Israelites through the desert and there was a pillar of clouds. It was a sign of God being there, leading them through the wilderness. There was a cloud, as I mentioned, that came down on Mount Sinai. Uh, there was a glory cloud in the temple. When Solomon dedicated the temple, the, the temple was full of this, this glorious cloud. So that the priests had to leave the temple, they couldn't stay there. 
there was a transfiguration of the Lord Jesus a cloud descended a symbol of the presence of God and then if you know Daniel's prophecy about the son of man uh, coming back to this world clouds are present there as well I think uh, Jesus made reference to it as well on his trial um, was it before Pilate or before the Jews before the Jews I think it was um, that they would see the son of man coming on in the clouds so this reference to clouds the idea the symbolic of the presence of God and the activity of God now no doubt as we think about these things there are all kinds of questions that arise in your mind and in mine um, about the details of how this is going to happen uh, we didn't read it in 1 Corinthians but obviously there were some in the Corinthian church that were saying well how is it possible that the body can go into the grave and, and it's going to be raised to life well God doesn't give us all the precise details but he's given us all that we need here and Paul finishes up with a great climax at the end of verse 17 and so shall we ever be with the Lord here is the ultimate fulfillment of the Christian hope the very end point of your Christian experience what is the, the most wonderful thing that you can possibly look forward to is it not being with the Lord Jesus Christ being in his company enjoying his fellowship seeing him and being with him forever that's what Paul is saying that this is, this is uh, all these events are leading up to this end point this climax when we will be with the Lord forever being with the Lord with our new glorified bodies uh, our body and soul having been uh, brought together once more and nothing in all of eternity shall ever interrupt shall ever uh, bring to an end that fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ well as we meditate on these things surely these truths these doctrines should fill us with praise and wonder and thanksgiving to our God and Saviour that all these wonderful events lie ahead of us and they are absolutely certain if tonight you know, if tonight you know in your own experience that Christ died and has risen again you can be just as certain that Christ will return precisely as is described here it makes no difference to you whether you live to see it or whether you die before Christ returns you can be absolutely assured that nothing can prevent you enjoying these great blessings when Christ returns your hope in Christ will not be disappointed there is nothing more sure in this world than that Christians will go through this experience now it's easy isn't it to get uh, very taken up very involved with the here and then the ups and downs of life the humdrum of uh, daily responsibilities and duties and uh, just the ordinary day to day life and because of that these, sort of, these things can get pushed out of our minds but it's good for us to take time to focus our minds on these things to think about the glorious return of Jesus Christ it would seem to me as Paul wrote this letter that this idea of Christ coming 
it was so much in his mind that it keeps popping up here and there as we mentioned in, in chapter 2 and chapter 3 as well that he was intent on filling in the, 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 the details as he has done in, in this chapter and we'll see more in chapter 5 but he couldn't, can't help but saying a little bit about it uh, here and there beforehand it's good for us it's encouraging for us it brings us strength in our trials and difficulties to meditate on these great and glorious truths to see the wonder of the fact that one day we are going to be with the Lord Jesus and we are going to be with him through all the, the endless ages of eternity and nothing shall ever take that away from us nothing can remove it from us because he loved us and he died for us it is going to be fulfilled Paul, God through Paul here has given us enough detail to assure us that it makes no difference whether we live to see this event whether we are still living when Christ returns or whether we have fallen asleep and enjoyed being with him for some time before Christ returns but then let's think, think finally of the consequences of our hope of this Christian hope verse 18 wherefore comfort one another with these words comfort one another with these words what's to be the major consequence of this hope here and now today as we live in this world it's comfort it is comfort for Christian people these wonderful truths have been given to us by God to bring us comfort to, to ease the pain of this world especially at times of sorrow and at times of bereavement at times of parting with dear friends and, and family who fall asleep in Jesus God has graciously given us these wonderful truths because he loves us and he wants to ease the pain of parting with loved ones it's only because of what Paul has written here or the spirit of God has written here it's only because of that that we can sorrow uh, in a way that the world doesn't sorrow we sorrow but we have hope we're not going to be, be the same as them we're not going to have a hopeless sort of grief that can't be uh, that nothing can change I would say that it's been very evident in our own congregation here at times um, at times of the death of the Lord's people amongst ourselves here that this hope, this confidence has been very, very evident it has transformed funerals I might dare to say from being mournful and despairing at hopeless occasions to services that have been um, full of uh, thanksgiving to God and of confidence in God and I might even go as far as saying that there's been something of a solemn joy there as well that the Lord's people have finished their, their course in this world and gone to be with the Lord and that that's, uh, comfort is, is here strengthened by the words we have in verse seven, uh, 17 that we are to be caught up together with them together with them who have already fallen asleep in Jesus after they've been raised we're going to be together again we're going to be reunited 
parting with people does bring pain. It does bring a natural pain and sorrow. Uh, I remember on several occasions as a, as a child being in tears, having to say goodbye to my grandparents. Perhaps we'd spent a holiday with them or they'd been with us and it was really sad to, to have to say goodbye to them. And that pain, that sort of sorrow, is of course much keener when we're parted by death because nothing uh, can bring, that, bring these people back in this world. But here is, a is this marvelous truth put very simply, just in these three words, that we'll be together with them. The separation is not permanent. It is not permanent. We are one day to be reunited with those who have gone before us. And we will never be separated ever again. Now, no doubt, uh, our greatest joy is to be with the Lord, to see our Saviour and to, to enjoy his fellowship and uh, his comfort and to, to be in glory with him. But surely there's going to be rejoicing as well at being with our friends, being with those who have fallen asleep in Christ before us. But one last thought. Notice here that the Spirit, through Paul, is giving every one of us a job to do. He doesn't simply say that these things are to be a comfort for each one of you. He says, you've got a job to do. You comfort one another with these words. You go to your Christian friends in their times of, of sorrow. You go to those Christ your Christian friends when life is hard for them and they're finding the Christian life difficult. And you remind them of the glorious future that Christ is promising. You remind them of these precious truths, of the precious hope for the future. Read this passage together. Speak about it. Pray over it. And bring comfort to your Christian friends. You can imagine the Thessalonians perhaps reading this for the first time. And the, the joy and the comfort it must have brought to, the, to them. To think, oh, now these people we love, they're not lost. They're with the Lord and one day we're going to be reunited. And they will share in the blessings of Christ's second coming in precisely the same way that we will. It must have been great for these people to learn these truths. They would have been greatly encouraged to know that those who had gone on already were safe and that they have no less part in Christ's second coming uh, than those who remained. Well, is this your hope and confidence tonight? Can you say that by God's grace, he has saved you by Christ's death and resurrection? Is your confidence of your own resurrection that you will simply fall asleep in Jesus that death has lost its sting has lost its terrors are you confident that one day you will be awakened that you will hear this, this shout, this command of the Lord and you will be raised you will be raised incorruptible you're, you, you, incorruptible meaning um, that you'll never uh, decay, things will never go bad, you'll never get old, um, nothing will ever go wrong with your body ever again. Well that's the great Christian hope that Paul speaks of here. To be given a, a, a glorified body, to be reunited with Christian loved ones, to be caught up 
and to meet the Lord in the air and to be destined to be with him for all of the endless ages of eternity we have a job to do for each one of our Christian brothers and sisters to seek to bring them comfort through these works then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord Amen let's pray together most loving and gracious Heavenly Father were it not for what you have told us in scripture here we would be ignorant about the future how good you have been to us then in giving us these insights into the glorious and wonderful return of your Son, our Saviour we thank you that for all of us who have have seen you at work in our lives transforming us from those who were children of wrath to those who are now the children of God who have washed away our sins and set us in the family of God we thank you that there is a marvellous glory laid up for us and we rejoice as well in the comfort that it brings to us to know that those who have fallen asleep in Jesus are at this moment alive and active and rejoicing in your presence and that the day is coming when we will be reunited with them and we will forever be with the Lord our Saviour. Thank you for giving us these truths. May they indeed be a, be a source of great blessing and comfort and encouragement to each one of us. For your glory's sake. Amen.